Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello everyone and welcome to History and Technicolor. This is me, David. And this is me, Wolf. This is fantastic. So we had a nice time last time with Bill and Ted, didn't we? It was a great time. It was very good, wasn't it? I, I said that Bill and Ted was a great role model to Millie. She was outraged at that thought. But I think they're great role models, aren't they? No. Um, they're imbeciles. <laughs> anyway, they, we're not doing Bill and Ted again. Nope. We're going to do a night Tala. This is my film and we're going to do it for these reasons. We're going to do it because we went really silly with Bill and Ted, so I have been given carte blanche. So now we have to do a really serious movie. <laughs> yeah, that's right. One that doesn't make any fun of the... So I thought thing. that, you know, we could do have one more week. I could have a, a week where we had a film which is clearly not historically accurate. Okay. Because I think you hate it. And because Millie and Jane thought it would be a great idea, and I know which side my bread is buttered. Okay? We and have, it's Millie and Jane's we side. Have, we have been... Talking about potentially doing a night stuff for a while. We have, since yeah. very near the beginning. Second or, third, beginning. second or third episode we thought about this. Indeed. Time. Although I've been slightly upset to find out that Millie likes one of the act- actors that I don't like. But apart from that, you know, we're, we're of a mind. So that's why we're doing it. A night's tale. This is... Shall I just ramble on? Yeah. When, when was it made, David? It was... Good question. It was made in 2001. Good year. Excellent. Was it? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Better the year than 2000? No, slightly worse than 2002. Director and writer, somebody called Brian Helgeland. Yes, who's done Just... some pretty good stuff. Has he? He won an Oscar yeah, for the screenplay for LA Confidential. Oh, LA Confidential, which is a great movie. And also, Helgeland sounds suspiciously like Gelderland. Ah! Mm, they always eight, say, right eight. from your own experiences. Indeed. He did, he did also... He also uh, was involved in writing the screenplays for Mystic River, with which is incredible. Never uh, 
Oh, it's a very good Sorry Clint Eastwood movie. Uh, the Bourne Supremacy and Green Zone with mm-hmm. uh, Paul Greengrass. He's mm-hmm. currently involved in writing the pilot for the Game of Thrones spin-off. Is that right? He wrote Russell Crowe's Robin Hood. Oh, mm. but the point, yeah, but it's a, to mention because yeah, we talked about points. it. He's got his good points, yeah. Um, and so he's doing the Game of Thrones spin-off. I think he's one of the inviters, um, writers involved. And very briefly, give me a score out of 10 for the Game of Thrones finale. Uh, I, was, I didn't like it. I didn't like any episode in the last season. Right. Didn't you? Okay, no. that's not good. I didn't I haven't seen any of it. I haven't seen Series 7 yet. So, A Knight's Tale. Obviously, the title is taken from Chaucer's A Knight's Tale. And indeed, Chaucer turns up in the movie. Yep. But it's really not anything like A Knight's Tale, or certainly not the one I did at school anyway. It is apparently set in 1370, which is when Chaucer is supposed to have disappeared for a while from the historical record, interesting enough. That is very interesting. And so the shtick is that, mm, maybe this is what he did, or maybe it's not. Anyway, we'll talk about that later. It's handy, though. Uh, it's quite slightly tricky also, because, although I should do this later, it's also Adamar turns up at the Battle of Poitiers at one stage, one of the characters. Uh, the Battle of Poitiers, 1356. Ah. So... Obviously, we're struggling with our historical accuracy. It's like we've time traveled. Is it Bill and Ted again? Maybe it is. Anyway, all these people are wearing trousers uh, in the film. Watt, who is a violent man. Roland, who is Mark Addy, channeling the world's greatest movie, which is... Uh, The Full Monty. Correct. Also, we mentioned Game of Thrones, and he is obviously uh, Sir Robert Baratheon. Indeed. King Robert Uh, Baratheon. I mean, one of, you know, just... I don't think I've ever seen Mark Eddy in something where I thought, I don't like this film or this person. Okay. Heath, of course, which is the reason that Jane likes the movie. Heath Ledger. Yep. Arguably the reason we all like the movie. Indeed. Very good. Indeed. So these three are these peasants. For me also, you've got Alan Tudyuk. Oh, yes, of course. What? Yes. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Right. He's very good. And he's also in um, Serendipity. Is that right? Well, he's quite a similar character, isn't he? Yeah, he, he's in he's in Firefly and Serenity. Yes, Firefly, yeah. he's, uh, Serenity. Yeah, that's what I mean. he's Not in Serendipity. Uh... That's the remake. <laughs> <laughs> Serendipity, the one with, is that John Cusack and Kate Beckinsale? <laughs> Serenity, Serendipity. What the hell? Anyway, so they're all together. They're working as presents, working for a knight called Sir Hector, who is a jouster who croaks in his armor just before the final. So one of the gang, who is Heath. William Thatcher is uh, the character in the movie. He says, right, I'm going to climb into this and I'm going to finish it off. Slightly oddly, he then invents himself as Ulrich von Liechtenstein, but that comes a little bit after, I guess. So I guess originally he finds a director and he manages to do just enough to Cause, win. Because the point is that they're already in a winning position. Yes, so they Basically, have to go Basically, if he Sarekta. doesn't lose, they win the money. Indeed. And he manages not to lose badly enough. And so they win... So they can try and go home. But this success inspires William. And he says, right, I'm going to do it professionally. So he calls himself Ulrich von Liechtenstein. But am I right that you can't joust if you aren't a knight? That is certainly true later on. And it's possibly true by 1370. But we'll talk about the history. Isn't, isn't that what they talk about, though? Isn't that the reason that he that has is, to disguise himself? But I've got, I've got news for you. Okay. Sorry. It's not very historically accurate. Uh, you've shaken me to my core, David. <laughs> if I had had a sip of this tea in my mouth, I would have spat it everywhere. The point is that we'll come to the bit about... I'm sorry, I'm distracting you. It. So, 
Enter the evil Adamar, Count of Anjou, Rufus Sewell. I mean, has there ever been a better villain? Because he's very convincing. In, oh, you don't think he, so? he's, No, he's exceptional. He's an exceptionally villainous because he's very plausible. He's very good looking, you know. In that evil way. In a totally evil way. He's, I love Rufus Sewell, just brilliant. Has he ever been a good guy? I don't know. It's quite interesting. I should look up his... Uh, if he is, I still think he's a bad guy. Yeah. So, I think he could be a very good, good guy, though. You know, anyway. So, um, he's a magnificent paddy, and he manages to defeat William in a delightfully supercilious way. I mean, rarely has anybody been beaten in a way that is more supercilious. Fantastic. And he also tries to chat up William's girlfriend, who is Millie's favourite, who is Sanon Sossaman. Who Millie loves, I find vaguely irritating. Her first name is back. Shannon. Is yeah, it not Shannon. You, I thought you said Salmon. No, sorry, Salmon. No, <laughs> Salmon's her brother. <laughs> yeah, Shannon. So, okay, so then they're out in the countryside, and this chap turns out utterly naked, having lost his shirt at gambling, and he turns out he's called Chaucer, and he is Paul Bettany, the exceptional Paul Bettany. <sighs> I mean, you know, the actors in this movie are just the best. Anyway, he turns out to be a brilliant herald and he comes along for the ride and he really bigs everybody up. And uh, they save him from his gambling problem. And they save him from his gambling problem. Because he's tricking them at first because he's still addicted yeah, to his yeah, gambling yeah, problem. Yeah, yeah. But after they show mm. him compassion and support... Yes. He finds a new... They can give him a new direction. A new way through life, yes. Okay, so William Adamar goes to war. William wins everything, tries to win the heart of the wrong girl when he should have been paying court to Kate the blacksmith. In your... Laura Fraser. Belief. In my belief, yes. But anyway, he tries to chat up and win the girl. Then Adamar comes back and gives him a kicking. But on the way, they go back home to London, which is where his dad lives. And then you get... Foggy little London town. Foggy little London town. He meets up with his dad, who had sent him away when he was a little lad. And, and he's said, now blind. And who's now blind. And is Krista Casanova. And... They meet up again, and that's great. But then Adamar finds out that he's just a peasant. <gasps> so he can't joust anymore, can't William? That's terrible. But they find a way around it because Edward III, the Black Prince, da -da -da -da, comes in, saves him, ennobles him. Then we have the big showdown with Count Adamar. But the William, Black Prince has been in it throughout. The Black Prince has he's been in it. He's in it very throughout. early on. And I remember being like, I remember seeing, oh, what's the actor's name? Purifoy, Purifoy. Yeah. yeah, I saw him and I was like, Oh, and he's gone. This is weird. He's very good, Black Prince, actually, isn't he? Because he's very... And he um, appears again later. He's quite good-looking, and he's, you know, sort of the strong, silent type. He's he's good, good casting. But the interesting thing is that I'm finding it quite difficult to tell the story here. There's actually quite a lot of plot, isn't there? Oh, I thought you were going to say because I keep <laughs> interrupting you. <laughs> talking to I thought me, this yeah. was... This I, is a show I need you to know people, I find this you know. quite difficult because you keep interrupting me. <laughs> Would have been an excellent line if only I'd got it. But, but you know, there's quite a lot of plot, isn't there? Uh, in re retrospect. Uh, the movie is two hours, 20 minutes long. Yeah, which I must admit I forgot because it's so good that, you know. So the bit about the I'm coming home, here's my dad, he's now blind. Oh, <laughs> no. And he's mending it. Oh, it's terrible, isn't it? But um, he still remembers me and William and Reach for the Stars. I mean, you know, the Reach for the Stars bit, even S Club 7 would have gagged at that, wouldn't they? Yes. Yes. Anyway, so that's slightly geeky. But anyway... Uh, he wins the girl, the credits roll. Okay, so that is the film. The first thing about the quality of it, so, well, okay, so tell me, because I think I know you hate it, but I could be wrong. 
What do you think of this movie? So in brief, so to with that, one syllable, okay slash good. Seriously, oh, that's so disappointing. I thought you absolutely hated it. Maybe it's Bill, Jane's brother. Who no, I used, it. I just didn't really want to do it because I, I'm not that engaged with it. Okay, but I think it's fine. You think it's fine? Okay. I, I remember when it came out, and we were all really quite excited as like yeah. 10, 11 year old boys to watch this, and. Right. I quite enjoyed it. I think we used to watch it quite a lot. Right. 10, 11 year old boys. Well, I would, okay, not 10. I would have been 11 or 12. 2001. Yes. Anyway, okay. But I don't think... I think after I kind of got past being 11 or 12 years old, okay. I don't really up. care for it much anymore. And for some reason in my mind, it, it became quite silly. So okay. I never... But not like unlike, a comedy, but unlike like... Bill and Ted. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but silly in a way where it's like... Trying to be more than it is while still being silly, and I couldn't really right. place it in my recollection. So you're the way you're thinking about it. It seems to me it's probably in line with many of the critics because it kind of got. It was kind of like a curate's egg of reviews, wasn't it? You know, good in parts. So you cannot in this movie. It's you can't really separate the historical bit, inaccuracy bit, and the film because it makes no attempt to be anything other than wildly anachronistic. And in the wild anachronism for me, is a lot of the triumph of the movie. So there's rock music and all. And I think that's brilliant. I think that's a fantastic idea. Obviously, there were no electric guitars in 1370. But it works brilliantly. It's entirely in line with the, the glamour and excitement and spectacle that jousts had become by the 14th century. It was, yeah. It's not how they originally were, but that's what they had become. It's full of high-quality, heartwarming characters that work really well together. So Mark Addy, always brilliant, solid, dependable, witty in the, in the movie. Chaucer's really funny. Paul Bettany does a brilliant job. I'm sure Chaucer's nothing like that, but he does, he creates a character who is really fantastically very funny. And you know, Also, I think he's probably a sexier Chaucer than history Chaucer. I, well, it's, if you look at the picture... <laughs> The picture of Thomas Chaucer that we have, there's no sex in that, and he's riding a silly horse anyway. Kate the blacksmith, I thought slightly mad, good counterpoise to the blokes. That helps really make the mix work. Um, Heath, of course, is very likeable, endearing, good-looking, carries that off perfectly, and his English <sighs> accent's jolly good. <laughs> Quite a few attractive blokes. Um, basically, he's a nice hero. He does it quite well that he isn't... You know, he's, he's not perfection. He's clearly very ham-fisted in the chatting up of the oh, yes, the uh, his, the love interest and gets hammered for it in a way that was quite, you know, predictable for a medieval bloke. Comedy is great, slightly predictable, obviously, but the writing's very good. There's an eye for detail. So one of the bits I really liked was at the beginning, you've got the we will rock you and everybody's going along and the, the Lord comes in and they all sit down they're going, we will. And the Lord can't help sort of like a dad waving his arms around a little bit because he's... whisper a few of the lyrics. <laughs> yes. And that was very good. Just nice little bits of detail. There's a great bit where William's supporters are cheering him on. You know, he's going to a joust and Mark and Watt and all the rest of it, cheering him on. Um, and he's Ulrich of Gelderland. So they're going, Gelderland, Gelderland. <laughs> yes. Actually, <laughs> I think it's in the pub, actually, in the, in the tent. Um, there are also little references to Chaucer and stuff. So we have a scene where they're having a gambling match with a pardoner and a summoner, and Chaucer tells them he's going to eviscerate them in, in literature. They're nice little sort of self-referential stuff. Loads of great stuff. 
And, obviously I'm getting a bit too enthusiastic here, but the jousting is great, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's very good jousting. I mean, you know, amongst all this silliness and all the rest of it, you've got some fantastic scenes of jousting. Apparently they filled the lances with rice or something, so that when they exploded, they looked even more dramatic. And they're really good. It was a couple of times when the jousters are obviously hanging off their horse. You know, they make it a little bit obvious. But I think it's fantastic. Jousting's really good. And like... Um, Master and Commander, I really like the environment, although that's getting onto the historical nature of it. Anyway, so, really good. Yes. I, ha- I have a few issues. There are, do, so I do my negatives first, or? I'll with, do my the, negatives, with, yeah, and then you, you can come in. Right, okay. So, so, David, what don't you like about the film? <laughs> nice question. Is there anything? There is. I, I'm a big fan of cheese, okay? I love cheese in movies. What's your favourite cheese? Real cheese or um, yeah, cheese yeah, in movies? What's your favourite real cheese? Oh, soft. I'm not very good at cheese, actually. I only learnt late in life to eat cheese. When I should have been learning to eat kale, because I'm a bit overweight, I learnt to like cheese. Why did I do that? I still hate kale. Do you like kale? Um, depends how it's cooked. It's inedible. In whatever it's cooked. But anyway, uh, why do you ask me what okay, kind of cheese? Okay, so I, I just wondered. <laughs> why did he wonder? You said that? I love cheese, and I was like, ah, huh. oh, David, I don't know David's favourite cheese. Right, so you had to know. What's your favourite cheese while we're on the subject? Uh, as a kid, it was probably Red Leicester. Okay, good, good cheese. Good, I solid, Red honest Lester. cheese. Yeah, it's, <laughs> as a kid, yeah, there's no, Red Leicester. There's no side to Red Leicester, is there? And I'll be honest, a mature cheddar goes down very nicely. <laughs> okay. it, right. Yeah, no poo. Right, that, no that's poo. what a mature cheddar is. Yeah, it's as straight down the cheese. line. Absolutely right. Yeah, none of this French stuff. It's just. But I have grown into the blue cheeses and stuff in, in my. Uh, Middle years. You're now that you're, you're now that you're grown up. Yes. Excellent. So I'm a big fan of cheese. So I, I make no apology for the fact that I like uh, lacrimose movies. I cried at The King and I with Jodie Foster. It's a terrible movie. Yes. Uh, you know, I there was a lump, there was a tear. Mm. So you know, I'm a big fan of cheese, but this cheese is just not good. The stuff about he comes home to find his father who he left with a little kid and you've got the little kid acting it. Just, you know, for whatever reason, Kristen Casanova is unwatchable. Yes. Every time he's on the screen, I want to eat my leg. Yeah, it's because his eyes are blind but also full of tears <laughs> all the time. I mean, it's just painful. Just a bit too much. Painful, painful, painful. And they give him that really long, like, soppy, kind of like, almost wet look, uh, grey <laughs> hair with his, like, long white... Rose, and he's like, oh, my boy. Oh, yes. my boy, William. Yes, indeed. No, it's it's uh, it's a killer. It's an absolute killer. Just vomit inducing. Also, inducing. that really long scene where he's talking, and he's like, oh, and w- William isn't telling him that he's William. Yes. He waits for a good five minutes so that he can just chuck in a little in-joke between the two of them, yeah. and then he'll be like, oh, my gosh, you're William. Yeah. You're my William. It, it is painful. My boy. <laughs> Actually, you make a very good Christopher Casanova. Not quite similar as well. And then, of course, there's that scene where he's like, he won't be able to survive the final joust until he sees his blind father watching on or not watching on mm. from the crowd. Yes, indeed. And yeah. then he's like, I can, I can do this. Yeah, your father is. Yeah. So that is the worst bit about the movie for me. And the, the whole reach for your dreams, anybody can be anything they want to do, is such a 21st century message that, amongst all the sea of historic inaccuracies, that's the one that irritates me. Yeah, same for me. Which is, you know, I don't know why, actually, it's most unfair. So, as a movie, Wolf, how did you find it on rewatching it? 
I enjoyed it much more than I thought I was okay, going to. Okay, okay, that's Especially good, when that's I saw good. that it was two hours, 20 minutes. Whoa. Um, <laughs> okay, we'll stop there. I don't need anything negative. I love this movie. I don't... No, okay, it, it's, it's, it's very fun. The jouster is good as I remember, if not better. Huh. The montage scene where he's learning to joust in the woods near the beginning yeah, yeah. is great. It's really good, yeah. Um, when We Will Rock You started playing, I was prepared to die. Uh-huh. Uh, I really was like, oh my God, this is. I'm remembering now why I don't like this movie. Uh-huh. But by the end, yeah. I, I, I understand the point of the music. And I understand exactly what you're saying. If they just played music from the time, the jousts wouldn't be exciting. Yeah. So make it exciting. Make us feel what they felt. I, it works. It does work. I just... Yeah. They revel in the inaccuracy. And that, that for me, kind of makes it. And the music is really good. I mean, you've got ACDC taking it Yeah, down. exactly. So when, you've when got ACDC... You've Thin Lizzy, yeah. you know. They're yes, one good that's track. that's the best. Well, they have two. Um, what's the other one? They have a couple of good ones. Do they? Do they, though? Yeah, they do. Okay. But what, What's the other one? Uh, tonight is going to a jailbreak. Okay, so they've got one good movie, one good song. Yes, carry on. Anyway, you've got Thin Lizzy, you've got ACDC, yeah. Queen come in yeah. lots of times, uh-huh. David Bowie. It's yeah. great stuff. Yeah, so it's great stuff. They, I think that's. I got on board with that. Okay. The cast, I, I re- seeing, um, Alan Tudyk in it. I'd forgotten that he was in this movie. The yeah. others, everybody does their roles brilliantly. So I was like, yeah, I'm on board. This is funny. So I haven't bought in Shannon Sussman, have I? Which I promised to do and who Millie absolutely loves. I found that bit of the story also not very good. The whole romance thing between her and but him. Is that her fault? Doesn't really work. Uh, not particularly, no. No? But I never get engaged with her particularly as an independent character because actually her whole purpose in the movie is as love interest. She doesn't really exist as an independent, I don't think. Do you think? Whereas Kate the Blacksmith kind of does. So this is where I have the problem with the movie. Yeah. I think that William Thatcher is a bit too much of a crappy dude. Yeah. That the the love relationship doesn't work. Yeah. Because when he's horrible to her, the movie doesn't give her any authority to turn away from him. And very quickly, it just... It, She's kind of consistently in love with him, regardless of whatever he does. She does. I mean, she does push back at him. At times, And yes. punish him for his his stupidity when, he, when he's just all blokey and forgets to think about her kind of thing. So there is a bit of punishment in it. Because you get the famous thing, which is actually a, Christ, uh, a Christian de Troyes thing, that she tells him to lose. And at one stage, she just walks off and... He has to win her back, sort of thing. So she has a bit of authority, but what it's she doesn't have much. is an ind- what she doesn't have is a life as an independent character outside of her role in the film, which is to be the love interest. Yeah, she she has no she doesn't have her own arc. You kind yes. of think that she might because she's kind of the maid Marian yeah. character, and he's Robin Hood. Yeah, and she doesn't, and I think that's that's a weakness. But I, I just don't like the fact that when he screams at her, you're just a stupid, silly little girl. That they're really. Well, she's the there. She, I yeah, mean, she I know, but her. it doesn't take that long. He's really shouting at her. And it really then he just writes a couple of soppy poems. And she's like, ah, sweet. Yeah. Back in love again. <laughs> there, is and, there is that. And then when <clears throat> she says later on, I love you. And bearing in mind that she is of the higher status. Yeah. She's like, I would essentially reduce my status in life to yeah. be with you. We could just go away and we could be happy together. And he's like, no, bog off. And he's like, he's like, I want to be successful. I want to be great. I want to be somebody. So he just goes and gets arrested. Yeah, I agree. And she's actually, it's a legitimate act. Bearing in mind our understanding of society at this time, 
the chances that the Black Prince is going to make you a knight so that you get out of the stocks or out of a worse punishment and actually win the trial, it, it's a million to one shot. Obviously, it's great entertainment. It's a long shot, it's but true. But he... She's like, hey, you could come and be with the woman that you love and we could go be happy together. And he's like, nah, I'm just going to go f- fruit thrown at me. Thank you very much. I'd rather have that happen. <laughs> That's because he's true to his principles, Wolf. No, he's true to this silly ideological idea that's like... Uh, you don't like a principled intransigence, do you? I'm not being very artistic. Because you didn't like Thomas More for the fact that he... <laughs> Are you comparing yes. William Thatcher to Thomas More? <laughs> Yes, I think I, I think I might be. You know, this you don't like people who stick with their principles despite the damage to everybody around them, do you? Uh, I think it's because his principles were created. I put it to you. His principles were only created six months prior when he got in the uh, suit of armor of a dead man. <laughs> but the principles come from him. They come from his center of his being. Yeah, but he just discovers them. He at just that wants point. to be successful. He's he's just self obsessed. He's not going to compromise. You don't like people who, who don't compromise. I put it to you. Uh, I, yeah, I think he. Sh- I think he should consider huh. compromising, especially yeah. because everyone around him is telling him he needs to compromise. Okay, so who's better, William Thatcher or Thomas or Thomas More? Um, Thomas More probably. <laughs> Good, we're glad we, glad we got that. Yeah, who's there. better, this fictional character who's a knight <laughs> or a saint? Um, yeah, it's close. It's a tough it one. is a close one. I think I'm going to go for William Thatcher. Anyway, so I just don't care for his his yes. character arc. I, I don't really believe it that much. And the reward of I un, actually I completely understand he wanted to beat the baddie. I totally understand that personal vendetta. But I don't know. He, he's a. He, I feel like he's already achieved everything, and I kind of feel a bit awkward that he rejects being with her, and then he goes back. Luck falls on his side. And then he wins, and then they're all like, "Yay! This is now perfect. Everything. There's yeah. literally no no bad things have happened." If he had gone, it would be have been like you. He'd have just gone and lived happily ever after. It would have been like you going on without having made history in Technicolor. Your life <laughs> would have been incomplete. His life would have been incomplete. He could no, never have been it, happy. It would be like if you said to me, "Hey, should we make this Night's Tale episode?" But if you make it, the police are going to arrest you straight afterwards, or you can run yes. away to France and not make another history in Technicolor episode. Right. I probably would be like, "I think I'm going to run away to France." Obviously, you would not. I'm shocked, Wolf. I'm shocked. Let's move on to the historical accuracy now that I've discovered this terrible truth about you. So, of course, it's a total mess, and it revels in the total messery of the fact that it is not a historical record. Are any of the characters real? uh, Well, I'll come to that in a moment. Oh, sorry. You know, it basically throws the book at historical accuracy, doesn't it? It farts in its general direction. Its mother... It is a farty movie. ...in the land of Elderbury. Right. Uh, Almost as bad as Braveheart, but obviously not quite. I did actually laugh at one review where it says, it's a movie review, talking about the historical inaccuracy of this completely historically inaccurate movie. And it wrote, Chaucer uses the phrase gilding the lily. The the real Chaucer died in the year 1400. However, the first documented reference of the phrase is from the USA in 1895. For crying out loud. So that's the historical accuracy you're going to pick up on? You know, we're talking the advanced game there. Although, but that... That's quite that sounds though. like a line barrel moment for somebody else. Really? That sounds like someone who who really that's their line barrel moment. What about the fact that there was no rock electric guitar in thirteen seventy? Yeah, but we never see one in the movie. Oh, well, mm. just in the score. 
Okay, so anyway, uh, you really didn't need to look at hard, that is my point. The clothes are all wrong. They do wear trousers in a sense at that time, but not of the type that they're wearing. They're all wearing, working around in these loose, baggy linen stuff. See. They don't wear, they so don't wear that kind of thing. Too many slacks wear in the movie. Too many slacks in the movie. <laughs> Very good. Um, and all the other clothes. I mean, the clothes that uh, Shannon wears are all wrong as well. And it's a funny combination, actually, where they seem to be trying for the look, but then have just given up trying to do it properly. So that's all wrong. Um, the commoner thing at the tournaments is overdone. They were great public events, but the type of people you got, you wouldn't have had the uh, the peasantry. Although it's not the worst thing about the movie, because in a town by that stage, there would have been a lot of people joining in. But I think they overdo it. I don't think Chaucer was anything like that. I don't think he's a very accurate representation. Obviously, it's a lot of fun that the way they do him, but it, you know, it's not close to being. So, Chaucer. but do you think that Chaucer's influence at the time is understandable to assume that he would be such a captivating? He's a very. Orator? He's a very serious man. Is the impression I get about Chaucer? Okay, his his tales are very raucous. There's lots of sex in them, and Steve. Cloutier will no doubt put me right. But actually, he's quite professional about his career. You know, he makes sure he's working the right patrons. He's producing the book of the Duchess. He's got his friendship with John of Grant. He's not a trivial man. He's not a chancer in that way. He has some proper jobs that he gets in order to pay the bills kind of thing. He's a serious diplomat in, in France. This is a weighty person. He's not a chancer of the type that you see in this movie. Okay. Brilliant with words, obviously. I don't think he'd have been up there going, Ulrich von Lichtenstein. He wouldn't have been doing that. But then that's your favourite part about the movie, right? It is. It is. Yes. What they do with Chaucer they is have just maybe him, the best thing. He just, they just sort of called him Alan or something like that. No, you're right. It's fun that it's Chaucer and it's gr- that's all perfect. Also, we love that he's this raucous. Yeah. We, man. Do, we love all of that. It's just that I don't it's think like very, horrible histories. Yeah. It's just that I don't think it's very historically accurate. I also love the way that the other Herald tries to copy him and it's really rubbish the whole way through. Yes. I'm sorry, I like that bit. And there's a cheesy bit at the end when he obviously is pleased that Adamar has lost his own herald. I like that bit, sorry. Cheesy, I see. But there are these nice little snippets actually where the history does connect, which is quite fun. I really love the way they do the jousts. I love it in the same way as I love Master and Commander where you can actually see the fabric of how it might have looked. And for me, that really brings the history of the tournaments to light. I do have to ask, though, why would Rufus Sewell (laughs) smash one of his perfectly prepared jousts in his hand, Mm. other than to show the audience, and I understand why it's there, he goes over and he's like, is it done? And they're like, yes, it's all just, you know, was it like uh, sugar resin or whatever? So it, it's perfectly fine. It's all done. And then he smashes one of them in public. I swear there must be there's people around him. He's not in a, like a secluded area so that he reveals the point that he's installed. Indeed. So that we know what he's going to do. So I understand why that happens, but I can't believe that he would waste one of them. Okay. Also, how many, how many jabs are you going to do? Three max? Mm, maybe. Okay. Might be more. So, I don't know how many they've built, they, yeah, but they, they've, they've taken a bit of time to build some, and he decided he's just going to wreck one of them immediately, so it's unusable. Also, it's the evidence. You're leaving the evidence around. 
Someone could just come over and be like, hey, why is there this pointy joust here? It's got to be the pointy joust was in William Thatcher, so the evidence is kind of there. I think this. I think we're talking a lime barrel moment for you, aren't you, here? That's something that really doesn't matter, but is, I can see why but, you find but it But do you understand why I'm like, it seems to bring, invite on, trouble? I think this is on the level of gilding the lily. No. I think it's fine. I understand, as you say, why they do it. Because they want to show you how pointy it is. Yeah, and how manly and he evil. is. He's like, crush the end of it. Actually, no, I didn't get that. It's just that, you know, it's evil and pointy and it's going to really hurt. Yeah. I thought it was absolutely fine. But I understand why you'd find that irritating. And it's wasteful. You're yeah, so wasteful. right. He's just going to have to throw that joust away. 57 billion, 57 million dollars, it is wasteful to re- waste one of the props that way. Well, not the prop that... The character is wasting one of his jousts. I'm goading you. I'm sorry. I absolutely, you know, I take your point. I take your point. Um, so I love, I love the the way the joust works. The there's some really nice bits. So they come into town. That's what it would have been like. I think you would have or that late on earlier on in the development of the joust and the tournament. So in the 12th century, for example, it was very much not like this. It was like a war game. This was a way of training your troops. So what you had was a great big melee and basically everybody, and it would happen in a very big area actually. Originally it would be, and actually even at the end of the jousting, well in the 14th century anyway, it would be over a big area between two villages that might be two, three, four miles apart. So this whole thing happened in a very big scale and you'd get these knights who'd suddenly turn up and start rampaging through the town, you know. But by the time you get to the 15th century, which is a little bit later than this, it's become much more formalised. So the Emperor of the Holy Roman Emperor Ferdinand, for example, takes part in the joust. And he actually, there's a very famous book uh, that he commissions about how to compete in each tournament. By that stage, you've got people would come into town. They would do exactly as they do. They'd announce themselves. They'd bring their letters of patent. They would hang their shields on the tournaments that they're going to take part in and then meet up with all their chums. And, and even in, Was it a legitimate career direction? It wasn't your whole career, but William Marshall, for example, who is earlier than this, but there are some similarities. So he is 12th century into the 13th, beginning of the 13th. He is... He makes his career on the back of following around being part of tournaments with Henry the Young King, the son of Henry II, he makes his career on it. Because he, what you did then is, everybody you beat, you could take all their kit, and you could, they had to buy it back from you. So you and you took them hostage, they had to buy themselves back. So William Marshall is, you know, fantastic at this, and he turns himself from the second son, or the younger son of a, um, a reasonably important baron, but, you know, He's not going to inherit anything. He turns himself into one of the most important... He gets himself a really good gig with Eleanor of Aquitaine. So, yeah, this makes him. Nice. So, I think that whole atmosphere thing works really nicely. And actually, it isn't that inaccurate. I like the fact that the armour is only half armour. You know, this is armour designed for the joust. They've got a little catchy thing at the back. That's true. Adamar is wearing a big guard on the side of his neck. That's accurate. It's such, a, it's such a funny mix because you've got this clearly wildly inaccurate stuff and yet actually some of the detail is really quite nice. Ulrich von Lichtenstein is a real figure. Uh, he is uh, 13th 
century, I think, rather than 14th century, and he's not Gelderland, but he's a very famous German jousting figure, and there are lots of books written about him, there are pictures of him nice. still, so that sort of ties in. The thing about Shannon rejecting him, as I mentioned, is actually a trope in Christian de Troyes, who's the courtesy thing. So that's quite nice, that ties in. There's a story in William Marshall, the L'Histoire de Grand Maréchal, where he gets his gets beaten up so much in one of his first tournaments that when they look to find him, to give him his prize, he's at the blacksmiths with his head on the anvil, having their helmet bashed back into shape so that he can get the thing off. And there's a, there's a nice little reference to that in his William's first battle where he gets yeah. his head smashed in. So I love that aspect of the, the movie, actually. So, yes, it's very inaccurate. They revel in the, in, in the inaccuracy. But there are some quite nice bits, actually. And if you want to, to visualise to somebody the world of the joust, probably more in the 15th and the 14th century, actually, they get it pretty good. So, I rest. Yeah, uh, I accept. I'm not really, I've already said my kind of disagreements with the movie, but it's very entertaining. It's family friendly, uh, friendly fun. Go on then. So, what is it about? Millie told me it's about the American dream. What? Go on then. Oh, I suppose it is. The old, you know, follow your dream stuff is, is kind of like that. You can make anything of yourself. Even though in middle, medieval days, you can't. You could go from being the second son of a baron to being the regent of England. You could go from being um, a townsperson, probably, uh, to being a major merchant sitting at the, in the court of the king and therefore and become ennobled. You really couldn't be a peasant and become a knight. Yeah, it's basically, uh, if you put your mind to it, you can achieve anything. Yes. No, you can't. And then... <laughs> I mean, there are some exceptions. Law is one of the routes out. But even then, it tends to be your very well-off free peasant. If you're a serf, you're not going anywhere, mate. It's about the American dream. There you go. Would you recommend anyone go and see this film? And if so, why? Wolf, or do you want me to answer that question? I think you should answer yeah, that question. Because it's enormous fun. It's very, very funny. It's heartwarming. The jousting is great. Actually... I have found that the older I get, the more lachrymose I become. And this time round, I even found the stuff about the little boy and his dad scenes, you know, the looking back bit with William Thatcher, quite affecting. And Jane thinks they're really cute. They're one of the best things about the movie. So actually, there was a lump. I'm sorry, I'd like to formally apologise, but there was temporarily, and I squished it down, there was a lump just for a moment. Okay. Okay, sorry about that. Um, in the throat, you know? Yep. Yeah, okay, got that. Uh, so it's it's funny, it's heartwarming. Just go make a cup of tea when he meets his dad, that's all. Yeah, I, yeah, I would agree. I okay. think we know that the, our listeners enjoy it. There's a lot of people out there. Who, is that right? I said, we're recommending, we, we, yeah, we? We've been told that we need to do it. A lot yes, of people are very excited. That is true. And I think uh, if you haven't seen it, go watch it. You'll probably have a really fun time. Excellent. Okay, so should we score it? Quality as a movie, out of 10, 1 to 10, 1 being rubbish and 10 being fantastic, uh, 10 being Nadia Comaneci. Who's Nadia Comaneci? Wait, no, I'm not going to do this again. Uh, I'm going <laughs> to say 6. 6, okay, well that's clearly under market, so try again. No. <laughs> 7.5. 7.5.
six as a movie. I suppose. Yeah, I suppose there are other weeks. It doesn't. It doesn't change anything. Yeah. I don't. I don't want to rewatch it. Like it's taken me years to rewatch it, and it, although it was fine, I. You didn't think oh, I want to watch it. Actually, I'd have given it an eight. I love this movie. I really love this movie. Do you love it as much as Bill and Ted? Yes. She's also an eight. Easily. Okay, fine. Easily as much. Yes. I think. Yeah, I think we just have to disagree. Okay. Are we allowed to do that? Don't we have to joust at dawn? Okay, so you're saying... Well, if we six. have to meet in the middle, we have to say seven. No, but... you're saying six, I'm saying eight. Compromise. You know, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm on if, Thomas Moore yeah, with if, this. If you love, this, if you love William yeah. Thatcher, you yeah. cannot compromise. I am going to the gallows for the eight. Okay. See, I would be willing to compromise. Yes, okay, well, we'll call it eight then. <laughs> <laughs> Historical accuracy? Score of one to ten. Uh, I have no idea. I'm guessing it's very low. I'll give it three. It actually might be a little bit mean because some of the adjustments, but yeah, you can't Do, give it any more. Than I think the thing is, though, its purpose is probably not to be accurate. No, it, I mean, it never makes a secret. It doesn't do the brave. I must stop talking about brave. It doesn't do the brave heart thing of pretending to be accurate when it's total, you know, tosh. It says, this is total tosh. We're going to have fun time. I think it's like, uh, yeah. the level of inaccuracy is quite innovative in the way it does it because it says, we're just going to play with this. And I think it's totally acceptable. If you're just there to have fun. Yeah. So, okay, we have ended up... What were you going to score it? Wolf O'Neill. You said three, right? I said three, yeah. Okay. I think I'm happy with that. Uh, it's one of those things I think you could give them anything, really. Okay, so that's very good. A Night's Tale, I recommend it unto you. You will enjoy it, and don't listen to Wolf, he's just been curmudgeonly. And with that note, let's do uh, the... I think it's time for the roundup. Roundup. Wolf and David's roundup. They're the rootness, tootness cowboys in the wild, wild west. Wolf and David's Roundup. Well, that was most triumphant dudes. Judging by the feedback, there is a hard core of curmudgeons among you who will never watch this movie or have watched it and were appalled. If I may call you curmudgeons, that is, you probably do not see it that way and all power to you for that. However, what I do know is that you are in the minority and in quite a small minority to boot because this film got the second biggest feedback ever here at History and Technicolor. A whopping 91% of you love this movie. Though I had to massage the figures just a little bit. I had to be a little bit creative and include in that score Gavin's San Dimas High School Football Rules. Did you not just weep for the poor history teacher, Mr Ryan? But anyway, the summary is that the score is most unprecedented, Rufus. I cannot do that accent, but whatever. It was a lot of fun. Was it not? And maybe I was being a bit harsh on the history. Though honestly, I am worried that Melissa has the San Dimas Napoleon as her historical template. Even more excitingly, though, we have an actual graduate of San Dimas High School in our group. Sarah, we are not worthy. Or am I getting my films mixed up? Either way, sadly, Sarah revealed that San Dimas High School football does not rule, which is a bit of a downer, it must be said. But hey, while we're on it, Mike has actually been to that water park, Raging Waters, apparently it's called, rather than Waterloo. I'm slightly scandalised they've not changed it in Bill and Ted's honour, to be honest. Excellent pun from Jacqueline about meeting Socrates and reporting that he was not amused by the movie and just looked stony-faced. I do love a pun. Good or otherwise, to be honest. Really, I'm not fussy. 
Steve, who is big on his music as well as his literature, managed to produce a link between Bill and Ted and the specials, which is very clever. And while we're being musically clever, Lewis is clearly most talented by linking Beethoven via tritones to Slayer. I've always thought of Beethoven as the heavy of the classical world. Sadly, Lewis then blotted his copybook with the absurd claim that Wayne's world can hold a match to Bill and Ted. Pashore, I say, Lewis. Pashore. Sanaya polished it all off by linking Dust in the Wind to the soap opera Days of Our Lives. A smorgasbord. A web of connections. But Luke, I have but one message for you. Son Demas Richard the Lionheart rules. As you can tell, most of the conversations turned out not to be a serious discussion of the historical points raised by the movie, which would not surprise Mr Ryan at all. But Mandy brought us back just a little bit to the straight and narrow with a podcast recommendation, Mike Duncan's Revolutions podcast on Bolivar, and a reminder of just how good Lincoln's speeches could be. So, a lot of fun, I think. Thanks for all your comments. And if nothing else, I think... From the comments, we have at least agreed that a corn dog is just a corn dog. Well, that was disappointing. No, no, no. it was most <laughs> it was excellent. Most excellent. We forgot loads of lines, loads of great lines. I must get Henry in to come and do them. Uh, which, which great lines did you forget? We forgot all the great words they use. We only got bodacious, heinous, and excellent. They use some really good words. Anyway. I do love when they refer to the Dauphin as the dude. (laughs) This dude Dauphin. The dude Dauphin and the salad dressing dude. We didn't get that joke in. Anyway. All right. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. That is quite enough. And uh, goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. Are you not entertained? Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.